Welcome to the Coach and the Therapist podcast, where we discuss solutions to life's problems from two different, though related, perspectives. Each week, we pick a topic such as anxiety, depression, or weight loss and offer our views based on our training, background, and experience. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to, share, and subscribe to this podcast. For more information, head to my website at vanessachristiansen.com. All right, well, welcome back to our podcast. This should be episode 13, I believe. Um, so lucky 13. Yeah. It's exciting. So we're <laughs> going to talk today a little bit more about overeating. So due to uh, the fact that we only got into some of the surface level stuff last time, we're going to go ahead and revisit the topic and talk about some other things. And Vanessa really loves this topic. And so she's got a lot of information to share with us. <laughs> I really love this topic. I guess I do talk about it often. Um so uh, last time we did, we talked about um, how we use food to kind of numb our emotions so that we don't feel them. And today we're actually going to talk about why we uh, overeat and uh, the problem is over hunger. So um, it's really interesting. Um, and of course, we're in America, so we'll, we'll be talking to some of like the social things that happen in America. Um, but... Um, we, and by, by overhunger, I think you mean like mostly like the physiological yes, aspect of overeating. The physical, yeah, the physical part of it. So, uh, over like hunger is like an actual physical sensation, right, that you have in your body that it, most of us know exactly when we're hungry, right? Um, and we start to get cues in our stomach, and also it's kind of like a wave, like it comes, and you know that it's starting to come, and then it, it there's a height to it, and if you don't actually um, eat it's i don't know if you've ever experienced this it, it does start to subside a little bit you mean like the hunger yeah yeah uh, the longer you fast i think in fact i was even reading a book the other day where a person was just talking about their experiences with fasting and how on day two of a six-day fast they were more hungry than they were on day six okay just because your body gets used to not eating and after a while it, it adapts to that so in that case, they were drinking and things like that. It wasn't like they were not eating or drinking anything. But on the sixth day, they actually found that their body adapted the idea of not eating. Okay. Okay, so... Um, yeah, just for the record, we're not recommending anybody do six-day fast. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's just just an example of, uh, of something I had recently read. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to go into a little bit of why we kind of are overeating as a society. Um, and it's the understanding of that there is this overhunger that we experience. So uh, the introduction of snacks uh, was really, I think, really introduced like in the 1950s. Before that, there was, of course, there was some snacking here and there. I think like the first actual Oreo was like created in the 1912, 1912 or something like that. But um, we didn't actually really introduce snacking until the 1950s, where manufacturers uh, introduced packaged snacks uh, that catered to cravings of like sugar and salt and fat. And then um, a second one of like in society where we actually started to see a shift and changes was the introduction of having uh, not just three meals, but three smaller meals and then the introduction of like in between meals. So like five meals um, in the 1980s, the snacks were everywhere to be found. Um, they exploded everywhere to be um, in schools and everywhere. I mean, really, honestly, like start thinking of like where snacks are now. They are everywhere, um, like with vending machines and things like that. 
But that's like where it started to be introduced more. Um, and uh, coincidentally, that's actually when our waistlines started to get larger as a society. Yeah, it was actually a pretty big deal back in the even 1980s and early 90s. You know, like it was, you could determine how good of a mom you had by the quality of your after school snacks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and then also, if you remember, because that's the age that we were growing up in, was that, um, I don't know if you remember this, but it was like this whole low fat. Uh, craze like diet thing that just exploded in the 80s uh, which actually uh, now looking back at it with research is that the what they did was low fat but high sugar which is like totally just I mean for insulin that's just crazy go nuts so but anyway so yes there's a few things that we've been told um, by individuals that you know that these things are healthier and actually in, in a way actually kind of hurt has hurt us as a society so not only that but we also as time has gone on um we also our portions have gotten bigger so i mean i know like whenever we go places we're like oh yeah let's go there you can get a lot of bang for your buck right you can get like the, some people i mean i remember when we lived in san diego there was one place where they said like they have these huge pancakes they were bigger than your plate you know and so like all of us like teenagers would go there on the weekends and things like that just to like go and do that so um our portion sizes are bigger um that's definitely kind of like a marketing kind of thing for you to come and enjoy uh foods food portions at different locations um also uh, something that we've introduced with snacks and just in general is the concentrate of things so um like high fructose uh, corn syrup and also I mean I know that's like a really bad word now but um, but it's also hidden in different words um, you know different names that we it's no longer high fructose corn syrup it's something else but it's still there um, but what happens is is that um, the more the concentrated that things are uh, the you know every single time that we have sugar or reward or our body with like a hit of sugar, uh, dopamine goes up. So we're very much a, um, our body is very much a, you reward and dopamine goes up. So of course you're like, oh, do that again. It becomes more of like a habit type of thing, right? Um, so when it's high concentrate, you get a higher like spike of dopamine. So, and therefore, so when you go to choose the candy bar versus the apple, you're you're definitely going to be like, uh, I think I'm going to go for the candy bar <laughs> versus the apple. Um, okay, so uh, those were some of the things, but then something that we sort of mentioned yesterday, um, to avoid emotions, we also eat. Um, we, But not only that, but as a society, I mean, I don't know if you noticed this, but we, I think you actually said it just the other week. You're like, okay, so when we're down, we eat, but also when we go to celebrate, we eat. And then uh, not only that, but we also numb our emotions. But anytime that you have people over, there should be some food, you know, like that's what we think, that we should always have some kind of food uh, involved. So, um, yeah, so... I always think it's interesting to me the combination of uh, engineering and marketing. Yeah, like that's kind of the uh, that's kind of the thing that's shifted over the last hundred years or so. Is it, it used to be that you you couldn't produce food in a quantity high enough to to exceed the calories that you needed, 
And so there really wasn't, uh, maybe we should add manufacturing into that. So manufacturing, engineering, and marketing. Yeah. Like as those three things have become more and more powerful, the, the patterns that we have with how we eat have changed over time yeah. to the point where we're kind of susceptible and succumbing to the messages and the mandates that the industries are providing to us. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't even, we haven't even touched on how pretty packages are or like how they, the, even the advertising is like, oh, look at this. You're going to actually have so much fun and love if you do this and do this together. Right. So yeah, I mean, there's like a whole thing. I mean, so much of that, but. um, So it it creates the system whereby you're enticed to it. And then when you're enticed to it, it's very rewarding. Right. You know, and then that reward becomes uh, self-reinforcing over time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, um, yeah. So those are a few things. Now, actually, I wanted to, that's sort of like a little bit of like society-wise, but um, we should probably understand why, what's actually happening. Um, so if we're eating smaller meals, like how they mentioned in the, I think it was like in the 80s or 90s to have smaller meals but have more repeated like that's the healthiest way to eat but actually uh, what now research has shown is that every time you eat insulin is raised so and then insulin is the hormone that stores fat so if it's raised it can't use fat for fuel so it goes strictly for like the fast burning like sugars and and carbs. So you're just looking at me. <laughs> I'll just keep going. Um, so that's one of the first things, right? So the more we eat, every time we eat, our insulin goes up. So and it doesn't use fat as fuel. So therefore, it stores more fat. Uh, the second hormone uh, that have that has uh, that's kind of that has a, something going on. Gosh, I can't even like say my words. But leptin, <laughs> let's just say this. Leptin lets us know when we're full. That's the second hormone that actually plays in this role of over hunger. That's what I was trying to say. Leptin lets us know when we're full. But the problem with leptin is that it's totally blocked when we have excess insulin. So the more like this whole process of having lots of little meals throughout the day or grazing or even just five meals or whatever snacks, um, it's actually blocking uh, your leptin. So it actually, it, it, it doesn't let your body cue you that you're full. Um, then the third hormone is ghrelin. And I like to call it the gremlin because this one is the one that lets you know that you're hungry. And uh, ghrelin is totally screwed up when we have when we eat high concentrated food. Um, it doesn't take into uh, consideration calories. So if you have something that's high in sugar or high in calories, and it's a small concentrate of it, let's just for example use apple, high concentrated apple juice. Um, it does not take that into account versus an apple. Yeah. <laughs> you're on a roll so i didn't okay. want to interrupt you okay. no i i was just hearkening back to what, even when i was in i mean 20 years ago when i was learning psychology when we were talking about hunger we we essentially said that there's you know four four things that that tell you whether or not you should eat um if you have an empty stomach then your your body will produce a response that will tell you that you're hungry and you want to eat if you have low blood sugar or if you have low insulin your body will stimulate hunger as well 
And then your brain also is, is active in determining whether or not you're hungry. So between those four systems, it's going to drive it's going to drive your your food and your eating responses. I think what you're talking about is a little bit more in depth into the details of what hormones are involved in those processes right. that uh, that lead to a person feeling hungry, and the way that the that we eat nowadays actually creates imbalances and problems in those systems, so that we end up overeating. Right, and the problem though is that um, because the psychology part of like we use food to celebrate we use food to mourn we use uh, food for every i mean really it's just everywhere and it's advertised to you like this is going to make you happier and things like that so um yeah the whole entire like phenomenon like it's just that's why we are actually overeating um so um so really not to like down everyone but like actually how do we how do we even take steps towards like actually understanding and actually not going on over hunger and just going to like listening to your body because it's actually hungry. Um, so, well, that, that is something fascinating and something I, I often invite people to do and challenge them to do mm-hmm. is to not necessarily, we, we talk about like eating only when you're hungry. Yeah. Um, but like, how about just starting with maybe waiting until you're hungry once or twice, yeah. you know, like just, <laughs> just seeing how long does it actually take before I get hungry. Right. And, you know, people will find that, like, sometimes it's it's hours, you know, yeah. it's six, seven hours later than when they would normally eat that they actually feel hungry. Yeah, well, the, the first suggestion that I always give is, like, have you ever actually not gone by the first cue of hunger, right? Because most people, well, with ghrelin, it's like, it's definitely, it very much is a cue thing. So usually it knows, your body knows, you eat at 7 a.m., that's your first meal. So when you wake up, your your body's going to be like, hey, by the way, just so you know, you're going to be hungry and you should be eating at seven, right? So it already starts throwing cues at you prior to the seven o'clock thing. Yeah. And that's not even physiological, like hunger. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's not even your stomach that's sending just a signals. Cue. Yeah. It's not even your stomach sending signals that it's empty. Yeah. You know, when your stomach says, hey, I'm empty, or your blood sugar and your insulin are so low that it, it starts to send out those messages, uh-huh. like then you're actually hungry. Yes. Yeah. So um, the idea is the first actual step is to just maybe, I mean, and most people are like, no, I can't do that. <laughs> but it's to just slowly make it that you get to and build up to uh, 16 hours in between your last meal the night before and the first meal that you have in um, the next day. Now, I usually break that in increments just because that usually shocks a lot of people and like their system is just like absolutely not. And like you're going to have an imbalance of cravings and withdrawals, like physically withdrawals because your body's going to be like and your mind is going to give you lots and lots of cues of like things are going definitely wrong here right because it's in survival mode always like with the first instincts is to to like make sure that you're going to be okay but if you're used to eating in a certain way that's what you're used to habits right and also just that's just what your body is used to well and that's kind of the idea i'm trying to kind of reinforces that in the beginning of that, it's really not your body being hungry. No. You know, you at at that point your body's not eating its own fat. No, no, no. You know, no. when you when you wake <laughs> up and that that system activates, right. your body's not eating its fat yet. Right. You know, it's not until you actually start to feel it in your stomach 
that you can go like, okay, yeah, my body is starting to want to consume calories. Well, I think you're talking about cravings though versus actual hunger because like I can actually go through hunger and then it goes to a wave and then it goes away and then it'll give me another cue and then I'm like, oh, okay, maybe now, but I'll wait and then I go to then I'm like, okay, now I know that I'm hungry. So I, I've been actually doing the 16 plus of waiting and my body is now like, I know when I'm actually hungry versus like giving me cues, especially from, I can also tell from like the things that I've eaten the night before, especially because I actually don't, I, I don't actually abstain from sugar, um, but sugar actually, uh, gives off lots of cues the ne- next day that the ghrelin kind of gets messed up and it throws out the hey you're hungry a little quicker than the nights that I don't actually end the night with sugar or have a lot of sugar the, ne- the day before so what's really interesting is that if I were to really abstain more from the sugar the high concentrates um, I think that I would definitely not actually have the hunger pain until a little bit after 16 hours or so but I can tell the difference between the night that I've had like a celebratory like you know uh, sugar like with cake or whatever um, like if it's off my protocol that I know that I had planned it um, I can tell like uh, what's really interesting is that now actually become like doing this um, I'm very aware of how sugar actually reacts in my body even the next day. So, um, but the idea here is to know that the, it's probably going to be pretty not so fun. Let's just say that for about two weeks. And I would just say, start slow, um, with even just a half hour or just waiting one, uh, hunger, like the, the wave of hunger and actually waiting, right. And like what you're saying, you're not going to be dying because if you have fat on you, like at some point it will start to take from it. It's not going to harm you. Yeah, and I think one of the things I'm trying to say is most people don't even ever get to that point. Right. Where their body actually begins to try to use calories that it's storing. Yeah. Most of the time when we think we're at that point. It's just a craving. Yeah, it's just a it's just a it's more mental yeah. at that point. Yep. But your 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 brain or your body will try to tell you it's physical. Yeah. But the reality is again, like it it doesn't really the actual like hunger doesn't really kick in until your body starts burning its own calories. What was it? We were, we were talking about fasting once and the doctor was, I can't remember what doctor was talking about it, but they're basically saying like fasting doesn't start until you're hungry. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can say you're fasting, but if you're not really actually feeling, mm-hmm. you know, in your, in your stomach and your mind at the same time, hunger, yeah. then it's, you're not really fasting at that point. And, the, and I, I'm thinking about too, like people will wake up sometimes after overeating the night before and they'll feel hungry. Yes. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, that's like, what I was trying to explain with the whole sugar thing. Like yeah. I'll wake up some morning. That's, and, that's yeah. a reaction of overeating. Right. I'm talking about like you have kind of normal eating. Mm-hmm. You wake up and your mind says it's time to eat. Yeah. And then you feel something that kind of feels like hunger, but that's not really hunger. It's just a mental thing at that point that says, oh, it's time to eat and I'm hungry. And that's then, the thing. If you skip that, then about four hours later. Right you'll actually feel hunger right? where your body says, hey, I'm about to start eating myself. (laughs) (laughs) So we have one of two directions we can go. Right. And and at that point, that's actually when you'll actually start to um, really start to restart your whole insulin and um, and your hunger. You'll actually understand hunger a little bit better 
versus the cues and the cravings that are happening from the overeating part. Yeah, so sometimes when I work with people, I, instead of starting them with, hey, this is something we're going to adopt and help you to do all the time, mm-hmm. I, I will start with even just like, just... I would like you just to remember what it feels like yes. to be hungry, yeah. <laughs> you know, to actually have that experience of needing food because yeah. your body is consuming its own calories. Right. And then I also explain that it's not going to be fun. And for, and I'm, I don't mince words, it's going to be about two weeks of hell that your mind, your body and your cravings are, I mean, withdrawals. I mean, you know, this sugar withdrawals. I mean, I've gone, I've actually gone times where I've gone away from sugar. I mean, it is serious stuff. It is not fun. Um, But same thing like when I've gotten off of uh, caffeinated drinks, your body, it's, it, it, there's a withdrawal. There's a physical withdrawal that actually happens. So the same thing with like sugar and also with overeating, like your body is definitely going to do some kind of withdrawal and you're going to think something's going to be definitely wrong. Um, But um, it's going to be around two weeks if you are consistently trying to And I usually, especially with people who are very resistant to like, no, I can't do that. I just say, like, try just half an hour from when you normally eat. Just, you know, space it out half an hour. And like every two days, go half an hour a little bit more. And until you actually can get to the 16-hour fasting between meals from the last one from the night before to the day, uh, the next day. Um, So with that, uh, that's when you're actually going to start to see uh, where you're going to reset a little bit of that hunger. But that's just kind of the beginning because um, there's a lot of things kind of like what we talked about last week. There's also your your mind is going to give you a lot of thoughts about um, this whole idea of like not eating what you normally have been eating and what you've gotten used to. Yeah, I find that's the bigger problem for people. It's not it's not as much the physical withdrawal piece it's that when the cravings begin to come back Mm -hmm. that all of those mental gymnastics occur yeah you know where where they start saying to themselves things like no you know it's like not it's not that big of a deal if i just have a little bit and it it feels really true (laughs) (laughs) like at the time it feels really true like i need this you know like i or like i've done so good today i should celebrate a little yes i should totally celebrate with the thing that i'm totally trying not to do yeah like all all those things become much more powerful than the yes. physical yep. uh, withdrawal from the from the food or whatever it may be. And that's why we spend a lot, a lot of times when I'm working with individuals, that that's where we spend with making models around our thoughts about everything that we're doing. So, um, and the idea of like the emotion or the urge or the craving isn't going to kill you if you don't actually answer it. Yeah, most people don't even know that they're lying to themselves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like because it feels it just feels so true. Right. You know, like yeah, no, this is this is something I have to do. Right. So that that I find is the bigger struggle is trying to help people to get past that because once they can do that, the managing the physical piece of it isn't as hard. Yeah, so I I just finished reading a book that talked about habits, and one of them was that um, if you have a goal, this is something that I also uh, mentioned, is that if you have a goal of saying this number, once I reach this number, then I've reached my goal, um, that's just a recipe for a disaster of just going back to your normal eating and then going back to gaining all the weight that you've just lost to get to that to that point. Even though you've created great habits up to that point, um, the idea of having like a goal, a goal weight or a goal number or whatever, um, 
or goal size um, is not the way to actually approach it, but to have lifelong changes is to just say, have the mindset of what would a healthy person be doing right now? So um, in making those choices or when you're dealing with a craving or dealing with, with certain things like that. Oh, you're starting to smile here. No, I just wonder, <laughs> what, do you, what do you tell people when they say, well, I'm not a healthy person? <laughs> like, like what well, would a healthy person do? Something I won't do. <laughs> no, <laughs> not usually what happens. Usually they come up, their mind actually gives them ideas of like what a healthy person would do. Yeah, I'm just saying, what do you say to the person when they're like, that sounds great. <laughs> just, just not going to do that. Well, then we have a, a few more uh, questions to ask. Like, why won't you? <laughs> no. What's your What's your thoughts about why you won't want to try this? Sure. So, yeah. Well, okay. So that's a lot of information for, for a little bit of time. But um, this is just parts of how to stop overeating. Um, I think at some future time we'll talk a little bit about over desire which we sort of mentioned last time with with numbing emotions and that actually how to take care of that so until next time we will see you yeah i think it's a good uh, reminder of the complexity of eating and why so many people struggle with it and so we'll uh, we'll continue to provide some good ideas all right thanks guys bye